Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and I just want to let you know about my gut healing bundle for those with thyroid and autoimmune thyroid conditions. This includes SMT Probio, which is a probiotic with 18 well-researched strains, Enzymes Plus, which not only includes digestive enzymes, but betaine, HCL, and ox bile, and SMT GI Restore, which is a stevia-free formulation that has multiple nutrients and herbs that have been proven to help support the healing of the gut. To learn more about this, you can visit guthealingbundle.com. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of these episodes to be valuable. However, this episode will be mainly for those with hyperthyroid conditions, as I will give 10 tips for those who have been recently diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. This is actually based off of a blog post I wrote, and it's been so popular that I figured I'd turn it into a podcast episode. I also should mention that if you have been dealing with hyperthyroidism for a few years, I'm sure that you will still benefit from a lot of the information I discuss. Please make sure you check out the post-episode chat after the outro music, as I'll expand more on some of what I discussed in the episode, including giving into the peer pressure of your endocrinologist, as well as friends and family members, and I'll also talk about self-treating one's condition. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome back to the Save My Thyroid podcast. This is Dr. Eric Osansky, and in this episode, I am going to discuss 10 tips those who have recently been diagnosed with hyperthyroidism can take. So let's start with tip number one, which is to keep an open mind. So most people with hyperthyroidism, they go to the medical doctor and get diagnosed with hyperthyroidism like I did, and then they get referred to an endocrinologist, and the endocrinologist might diagnose them with Graves' disease or toxic multinodule goiter or a different type of hyperthyroid condition. But either way, the only three treatments that endocrinologists typically recommend are Antithyroid medications such as methimazole, sometimes PTU, radioactive iodine, or thyroid surgery. So you need to keep an open mind because there are options other than these, which is what I do. I help people to save their thyroid. And you know, if you are watching this, you probably are familiar with that. You probably are open already to taking a natural treatment approach. But every now and then someone will visit my website or podcast and they might not have that open mind yet. So just, I'm telling you right from the start, just try to keep an open mind. I'm not trying to sway you either way. Obviously, I'll be biased and want everybody with hyperthyroidism to take a natural treatment approach. But truth to be told, there is a time and place for conventional treatment, even surgery. A lot of my patients do take antithyroid medication. So even though I didn't take the medication when I dealt with Graves' disease, doesn't mean that everyone with hyperthyroidism shouldn't take antithyroid meds. Sometimes they need beta blockers. So all I'm saying is to keep an open mind. Tip number two is to stay safe while addressing the underlying cause of your condition. So once again, when I dealt with Graves' disease, I chose not to take antithyroid medication. I took the herbs bugleweed and motherwort, and they worked really well in my situation. 
but this doesn't mean that they work well with everybody. I'd say about 75% of people who take bugleweed get really good results, but other people need to take antithyroid medication. And if someone decides to work with me and they're already taking antithyroid medication, and if they're not really having any side effects, then I'm not going to talk them out of taking the antithyroid medication and switching to the herbs. I mean, legally, I can't do that anyway. But even if I could, I wouldn't do that because I don't know how they would respond on the herbs. Now, if someone is taking the antithyroid medication and they just absolutely don't want to take the antithyroid medication, again, I can't tell them to stop taking it, but they might choose to switch to bugleweed or something else. But the point is that you want to stay safe, whether you take antithyroid medication or you take a more natural approach do something to manage your symptoms to lower the thyroid hormone levels. And one of the big reasons, a lot of people with hyperthyroidism will have increased resting heart rate. So you get a lot of stress on the heart, but then also elevated thyroid hormone levels will affect bone density. So you really don't want to ignore the hyperthyroidism. And what I would do is I would refer to my podcast episodes number two and three, where I discuss both conventional and natural symptom management options. So I believe podcast episode number two is the conventional symptom management options and episode number three, the natural symptom management options. And those two episodes really just focusing on symptom management, even though I want to do more than just manage symptoms. And hopefully you want to do more than just manage the symptoms, but symptom management, staying safe is important while trying to restore your health. So tip number three is to not let your endocrinologist pressure you into receiving radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery. And I'll expand this and say, don't let family members or friends pressure you either. Now, endocrinologists, not all of them will pressure you to receive radioactive iodine thyroid surgery. When I was dealing with Gravesies, I saw an endocrinologist. I only saw her for one appointment, but she didn't pressure me to receive radioactive iodine thyroid surgery. She just recommended the antithyroid medication, which once again, I didn't take. And I didn't tell her I wasn't going to take it. I just decided on my own not to take it. But there are endocrinologists who will scare their patients into receiving radioactive iodine thyroid surgery, make them feel bad. If you were to bring up that you were doing things to change your diet or take supplements, they would usually frown upon that. And the same could be true for family members and friends. I was brought up with a medical mindset. So when I decided to take a natural approach for Graves' disease, I didn't go back to my mother and father and tell them this because I know they wouldn't be in favor of this. Not to say they would have tried to talk me out of it. I mean, at that point, I was in my late 30s and it was my decision. It's not like I was a teenager under that care or a child under that care. But still, that won't stop friends and family members from telling you that you're wrong for taking an actual treatment approach and trying to tell you to receive radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery if that's what was recommended to you. So tip number four, this is for those who have Graves' disease. Just remember that this is primarily an immune system condition. I know most people with Graves' disease know this, but some people still think of this as a thyroid condition. And that's what makes it crazy that most endocrinologists will do nothing. But actually, I would say all endocrinologists, all they do is either manage the symptoms of hyperthyroidism or they want to ablate the thyroid or remove the thyroid. So they're focusing on the thyroid and doing absolutely nothing for the immune system component of Graves' disease. So you want to do things to manage the hyperthyroid symptoms, which I mentioned in tip number two, where you want to stay safe, but at the same time, you want to do things to improve the health of your immune system. And I'm not going to get into great detail here, but there's a lot of 
information on my website, my main website, naturalendocrinesolutions.com. My podcast, Save My Thyroid, about addressing, finding, addressing triggers, correcting other underlying imbalances, and just doing things overall to improve your immune system health. So tip number five is for those who have toxic multinodule goiter, or even if someone has honestly just a multinodule goiter, it's not toxic, but here we're focusing on hyperthyroidism. So with toxic multinodule goiter or just euthyroid multinodule goiter, common causes include problems with estrogen metabolism and insulin resistance. And I'll refer you to podcast episodes number 47 and number 53. Number 47, Kate Vasquez talks about estrogen. And in episode number 53, Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo talks about insulin resistance. And there's also articles on my website, naturalendocrinesolutions.com. But once again, you want to address the cause of the problem with toxic multinodule goiter, not just Graves' disease. I know I focus a lot on Graves on my podcast and website just because most people with hyperthyroidism have Graves' disease, but a lot of people have toxic multinodule goiter. If you go to an endocrinologist, typically they will tell you to remove the thyroid or receive radioactive iodine, and that will resolve the hyperthyroidism, that will resolve the toxic part, but it's not going to address the cause of the problem. And sometimes someone has nodules that are too large that might not be able to be addressed naturally or not fully addressed. There's also radiofrequency ablation, which is not the same as radioactive iodine. Just some people hear radiofrequency ablation. They think it's the same. It's completely different with radiofrequency ablation. It's not addressing the cause of the problem, but it is essentially saving your thyroid by just focusing on the nodules. So if someone does have larger nodules, let's say two, three, four centimeters, that might be something to consider. Not to say you still don't want to try to address the cause of the nodules, but just given different options here. And again, insulin resistance could be a problem. Also, iodine deficiency. Iodine just in general is controversial. And sometimes iodine makes things worse. So I'm cautious when it comes to iodine. I'm not against iodine. If anything, I'm more in favor of iodine. But that being said, I don't recommend iodine to you know all my patients. Actually, years ago, I did just because every practitioner seemed like was recommending iodine to their patients. Now, Honestly, that's in the back burner. I just, over the years, have seen a number of people not do well with iodine. So in the case with Graves' disease, it's definitely not something I recommend initially. And with toxic multinodule goiter, it's something I consider, but I usually will look into problems with estrogen metabolism and or insulin resistance first. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves' Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdrerick.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. So tip number six, if you choose to take a natural treatment approach, start with cleaning up your diet. So diet isn't the only thing. There are people that 
decide to work with me who have followed an autoimmune paleo diet or just regular paleo diet, but they've eaten real clean for many, many months, sometimes years, and yet they developed hyperthyroidism, whether it's Graves' disease or toxic multinodule goiter. That being said, it's still important to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. Now, there's no single diet that fits everyone perfectly, and there are episodes on my podcast that talk about diet, and there's articles on my website, blog posts on my website. So I do have some information that you might want to check out. Usually for Graves patients, I recommend autoimmune paleo, but that doesn't mean it's perfect for everyone. There are some people that just find it too restrictive and they might just start with a regular paleo diet. And some people, even that might be too restrictive. It depends on where they are in their journey. If someone is used to eating fast food every day, then even a paleo diet might be challenging to follow. If someone is used to already eating a paleo diet, then making their transition to AIP might not be as challenging. But either way, I'm not telling you to follow AIP or follow paleo at this point. I'm just saying to clean it up. So to try to wipe out the refined foods and sugars, the unhealthy oils, try to eat a decent amount of vegetables. If you eat meat, make sure it's organic. If it's beef, like organic grass-fed. If it's poultry, maybe organic pasture-raised least organic if you can't get pasture raised. But again, I can't say I always get pasture raised myself, just giving you some advice here with the diet. And so diet isn't everything, but if someone eats inflammatory foods on a regular basis and not just gluten, dairy, I mean, gluten, dairy, I do recommend to avoid those while improving your health as well, whether or not you should avoid those permanently. I won't get into that here in a perfect world. I would say yes, but I've been in remission since 2009, and I can't say that I've been 100% gluten-free, 100%, definitely not 100% dairy-free. I admit that when I eat pizza, I did not eat pizza when I was dealing with grays, but years later, you know, I do eat pizza every now and then. And, you know, usually I try to eat gluten-free pizza, but I can't say it's dairy-free. I do like my mozzarella cheese. So I wouldn't worry about the future as far as you know, whether or not you could reintroduce gluten or dairy, that's something to worry about later. But for now, while healing, I would avoid those, which of course, if you're following a paleo diet or an AIP diet, you will be avoiding those. But for some people, they might not choose to follow either one of those. So at the very least, I would say avoid gluten, avoid dairy, avoid refined foods and sugars overall, avoid unhealthy oils, focus on eating more vegetables. And let's move on to tip number seven. So for those with Graves' disease, as well as some other health conditions, many other health conditions, stress plays a big factor. But here we're focusing on Graves and that stress is a big factor in the development of Graves' disease. So when I was diagnosed with Graves' disease, I knew stress was high, like the stress levels were high, but I was in denial that it had a great impact on me just because I thought I was good at managing the stress, even though I really didn't do anything to manage the stress. So I really didn't consider it as being a big problem until I did adrenal testing in the form of adrenal saliva test in my situation and saw that my cortisol was low, my DHEA was low, other markers were low. And then I realized that stress was a factor. And it wasn't just emotional stresses. I'm sure that was part of the equation. But in addition, I was overtraining. I was exercising regularly. But looking back, I definitely was overexercising, doing too much. So it's not just emotional stressors, although emotional stressors by themselves can be the factor. 
or at least a big piece of the puzzle. So I would definitely realize that stress can be a trigger and it might, in some cases, it could be the main trigger. So even if you think your stress levels are low or your stress handling is high or both of those, I would still recommend to block out time for stress management on a daily basis. Even if you're starting with five minutes per day, the, the key is to get into the routine when it comes to stress handling, and then you could always increase the duration. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't do anything for stress management, but those who do block out time for stress management, they might do it two, three times per week. I want you to do it every day, but do five minutes because we could all block out five minutes. And then once you're in the routine of five minutes, then gradually increase. And it doesn't mean you have to do eventually 20, 30 minutes every day. Maybe two or three days per week, you do 20, 30 minutes, but the other four days per week, you do five to 10 minutes. So it doesn't mean you have to do the exact same thing every single time you're engaging in stress management activities. You might do yoga three days a week and meditation the other four days a week or Tai Chi or biofeedback. Again, there's a lot of different mind-body medicine techniques out there that I'm not going to get into here. But tip number eight is to take advantage of some of the free resources I offer those with hyperthyroidism. So I already mentioned my main website is naturalendocrinesolutions.com, and I have hundreds of articles and blog posts. Not all of them focus on hyperthyroidism. I also work with people who have Hashimoto's, but since I dealt with Graves and since there aren't a lot of practitioners who work with hyperthyroidism, I would say like 70, 80% of my practice consists of people with hyperthyroidism. I do see people with Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, but mostly people with hyperthyroidism. So when you visit my website, you will see some articles on Hashimoto's, but you'll also see a good amount on hyperthyroidism. And then there'll be a good number on just general like thyroid autoimmunity that kind of apply to both hyper and hypo. And then there's my podcast. So my podcast, Save My Thyroid, which you could either visit savemythyroid.com or just visit your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcast or Spotify and do a search for Save My Thyroid. So when I created Save My Thyroid, the goal was to focus on hyperthyroidism. But I just realized that when doing the interviews, most of the people I interviewed didn't really have knowledge when it came to hyperthyroidism. And a lot of them actually experience Hashimoto's themselves. So I would say it still swings more on the side of hyperthyroidism. You'll see solo episodes, especially like the first 10 episodes, just focus on hyperthyroidism. And then after that, a lot of them will benefit people with both hyperthyroidism and Hashimoto's. But there will be dedicated episodes to hyperthyroidism where there really aren't dedicated episodes to Hashimoto's and the reason is because, again, most of the people I work with have hyperthyroidism, and there's just not a lot of resources out there for those with hyperthyroidism. So, yeah, definitely check out naturalendocrinesolutions.com as well as the Save My Thyroid podcast. I probably could have included tip number nine with tip number eight, but I have it separate, which is to read my book, Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease. So it's the first edition came out 2011, then I revised it in 2013. So it's been out there for a while, but a lot of the information is still relevant. And so, yeah, of course, I'm going to pitch my book and say, you know, read it and, you know, has rave reviews. I mean, just seriously, over the years, I've had a lot of people email me just thanking me for writing that book. And there are a few other hyperthyroid books out there, but again, there's just not 
too many out there. The most of the books out there focus on hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. And my goal is, as a record in this podcast, to come out with other books on hyperthyroidism. Even though it's been years since I came out with a new book, part of that is just the time I dedicated on the articles and blog posts, and then you know the podcast. And I did come out with a book, Hashimoto's Triggers. I really wanted to write a book on Hashimoto's, but from this point forward. Any books in the future will either focus on hyperthyroidism or maybe I will come out with a book that helps people with both conditions. But I'm almost sure the next one that I come out will just be for those with hyperthyroidism. And then finally, tip number 10, be cautious about self-treating your condition. So obviously, I'll be a little bit biased about seeing a natural healthcare practitioner just because I'm a natural healthcare practitioner. But... It is challenging. Even when you work with a healthcare practitioner, a natural healthcare practitioner, a functional medicine practitioner, it's challenging to restore your health. But it's even more so when you try self-treating your condition and there's greater risk when doing it on your own. So, you know, I know it's an investment. It's an expense when you work with someone. And like I said, I'm going to be biased because I'm a healthcare practitioner, but I'm not trying to tell people to work with me. Honestly, a lot of people listen to this podcast. A lot of people visit my website. I don't have the capacity to work with everybody one-on-one. So, you know, again, it definitely does not have to be with me, but really should be with someone. And yeah, it's nice when they do have experience work with hyperthyroidism. And I realize there's not a lot out there. And that is a problem in the future. I may look to train other practitioners But right now I'm still focused on seeing people one-on-one and creating a lot of content and there's only so much I could do. But yeah, just again, so be cautious about self-treating your condition. So those are the 10 tips and I am just going to summarize them here. So again, tip number one, keep an open mind. Tip number two, stay safe while addressing the underlying cause of your condition. Tip number three, don't give into pressure by your endocrinologist, family, or friends. Tip number four, For those who have Graves' disease, remember that Graves' disease is primarily an immune system condition. Tip number five, if you have toxic multinodule goiter, common causes include problems with estrogen metabolism and insulin resistance. Tip number six, if taking a natural treatment approach, start with cleaning up your diet. Tip number seven, stress is a big factor in the development of Graves' disease. Tip number eight, take advantage of some of the free resources I offer those with hyperthyroidism, including my website, naturalendocrinesolutions.com and my podcast, Save My Thyroid. Read my book, Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease. That's tip number nine. And tip number 10, be cautious about self-treating your condition. So these are the 10 tips. Those who have recently been diagnosed with hyperthyroidism should take into consideration. I hope you found this information to be valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. So one of the tips I mentioned was not giving into peer pressure from your endocrinologist, family, and friends. One reason why many people give into pressure by the endocrinologist is because they don't know what other options they have. And what's tough is that if someone sees multiple endocrinologists, it wouldn't be a shocker if all of them recommend radioactive iodine or surgery. Obviously, this isn't the case with all endocrinologists, as many will be fine with the person taking antithyroid medication, but too many will scare their patients into getting their thyroid removed or ablated. 
With regards to friends and family members, they of course only want what's best for you, but just remember that most of them are brought up with a medical mindset. And so while I really do hope you have family members and friends that will respect and support your decision, if this isn't the case, you still need to do what feels right to you. The 10th and final tip I gave was to be cautious about self-treating your condition. This doesn't mean that you can't make diet and lifestyle changes on your own, as I definitely encourage you to do this. But when it comes to finding and removing triggers, it is very challenging to do this without any assistance. Heck, it could be even challenging doing this when working with a natural healthcare practitioner, but in most cases, it is far more challenging to do so on your own. So I would strongly consider working with a natural healthcare practitioner, whether it's a medical doctor, chiropractor, naturopath, nurse practitioner, or another type of practitioner. It would be great if they also had a lot of experience with hyperthyroidism, but I realize this isn't always possible. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.